Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 114, part two, part the of the Quickie Podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and this is the second part of my interview with Amy and Jen Hood from Hoodspa Design. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, head back there first, because that is the beginning story, the early days, the childhood, the junior high, the high school creative, the Hoodspa startup story. That's the beginning. During this episode, we sort of continue on a bit of that early days of Hutzpah where they were experimenting and building a portfolio by just creating work that they wanted to do and putting it out there. We talk about a project they were a part of where they collaborated with a friend of theirs and how that project went sideways, why it went sideways, and what was learned from that project. We also get into about how process and having not really good ironed out processes can help save you from potentially messy situations. Now, the downside is a lot of times you need to go through the messy situation to learn the process to put in so you don't get into it again. But we talk about that. They talk about their client and brand discovery process, and they give us a sort of peek inside at what that is like and what's involved with that. And if you want to hear more about a bit of their business and some inside stories, go get their book, Freelance and Business and Stuff. Head over to hoodspuddesign.com and get the book there. It's fantastic. It's fun. It's quirky. It's full of their personality. And it's great for business. And one last note from this episode, right near the end, we get into what they are struggling with and working on in their business right now. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. My wonderful guests, Amy and Jen Hood from Hoodspa Design. And here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? All right, we'll move on to the next question, eh? Um, I want to chat a little bit about print and I want to hear how you two have utilized print in your design career and any stories around printer packaging you have to share. Yeah. I mean, print's been a huge part of our career in general. We, that's how we got into the industry was in the print industry. We worked at that, that magazine was based out of a print brokerage house. And so we also did all the, all of the setting up of files for that. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've always been huge fans of like tangible goods, being able to hand somebody something tangible that they can see something visually exciting. Um, there's just nothing like it. It's kind of like a handwritten note. It's, it's something that you can't do on a screen in my personal opinion. And especially when there's, it's something like, like, you know, that book by Kelly Anderson, she's been doing these books called this book is a planetarium or this book is a camera and they're incredible, incredible print pieces. The one is actually a working camera. It's insane. Um, and I love those kind of, yeah, you got to look it up. And, um, those kind of tangible moments are incredible. So when Jen and I started our company, we were constantly trying to keep our business in our clients' minds, past clients, and reach out to people that we wanted to work with and show them what we could do. And we would do that through print, little print moments. And um, 
most companies do them for Christmas. We tried to do it for Christmas and it would always go out by Valentine's Day. So we mm -hmm. started doing Valentine's Day gifts. I was just going to ask and, you, did uh, you do a Valentine's one? <laughs> yep, exactly. We would make it in time for Valentine's and it would just be a thank you. It would just be thank you for working with us or thank you for being a friend and an inspiration. And it was always something printed, always something. And we would use it as an excuse to test something that we wanted to get paid to do. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to get into packaging. So we made pins with little packaging, custom packaging. And that was a way to show, hey, we can do this service. If you need it, we're here. And it works. It really works. Every every top-level designer, when asked how they get their dream job, it always starts with making the kind of work you want to get paid for. Okay, that totally goes back into a question that I was just reminded of now. In the early days of Hutzpah, when you were, you were saying, you know, all our portfolio was, was this, um, you know, was these ads that, that you did. Um, did you then start creating things you wanted to create and build out that portfolio in the way that you wanted? Yeah. And I think, well, at first it was like, we both had a blogger <laughs> blog spot, which is hilarious now to think about, <laughs> but we both had a blog spot and like every day or like once a week, at least we were kind of independently just on our own, like posting things we were inspired by. And then also posting just like um, our own experimental work to just like see what we could do. We didn't even know what we could do or what our style was. And so we were just like making the work to just find out. And then we would share it. Um, and people started like telling us what they wanted from us by being like, Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Can you do that for me? And we're like, Oh shit, this is business. Like this is helping us. <laughs> like, this is yeah. yeah. So we were like, so from the, and I think that came naturally to, to us because we were living in Southern California at the time and we, we had, still are. well, yeah, we still are. But like inadvertently we had been like steeped in this lifestyle brand culture, which is very big in the surf skate world, mm -hmm. which is just like everybody is sponsored and you just watch their life and they are the walking, talking ads for these companies, which aren't, hard selling they're just showing you hey this is this cool lifestyle and this brand is associated with it so we were just like oh I guess like we just kind of did it by default we were just sharing what we were doing behind the scenes and it, it worked to kind of create for hoods by this like aesthetic and this mood that people started associating with us and attracting like like-minded people with like-minded projects that we actually mm -hmm. were stoked to work on you know people in like the motorcycle culture or sports or um you know surf any of this stuff that we we were fascinated with it was we were like oh man this is crazy how this is working it, it was really cool yeah that's awesome and that comes up so much on the show where people have landed or designers have landed jobs with pepsi or these other huge brands by just like complete, um, not fluke, because they put in the effort, they put in the work, they just created something that they wanted to create, whether it was they want to do brewery design. So they made a fake brewery right. and did all the design for a fake brewery, put it up, and all of a sudden, they're getting brewery business. So it's it comes yeah. up so much. It is. It's, it's like the one common thread I hear through almost every person I admire's um, story. <laughs> That's cool. Um, all right. This is where the counseling session starts. This is where I start billing for my time. Um, <laughs> I've got a couple of questions about, um, you know, the challenging times in your career where you maybe made some mistakes, learned some lessons. And I really want to pull those stories and lessons out and share those with the listeners. Um, cool. So together or separately, if it's different stories, but what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, the biggest one was 
we were doing a project with a friend who we had been collaborating with for years. Mm-hmm. It was this was early on in Hoods, but we met her and we did a lot of collaborations and where we would both serve each other's clients because um, we had kind of uh, complementary skills. Well, anyways, I got this big project in and I brought her in on it and. Um, the relation, her and the client didn't get along well, and the relationship kind of like started rapidly devolving. It was the biggest project we ever worked on. It was gigantic, really big paycheck, and um, and I was like, oh no, this is not good. And um, pretty much, long story short, like it ended in the client uh, suing her. Um, luckily, we weren't the one being sued against, but then we were kind of caught in the middle of this lawsuit, mm-hmm. and because she was a joint person on our account, which was very dumb of us, but we were like, oh, we're both using this money to serve the client. We'll put a joint account together. And she like took all the money out. And all to say, I realized, I was like, okay, I've just been like, I'm way too passive in our business dealings. And even with the client, they were, I I just learned that like, we had to be way, way, way more active in leading our projects, being um, the person in the, the driver's seat. And taking a client along in a way to where they don't get panicky about what's happening, what's next, you know, that kind of thing. But um, setting expectations, setting, you know, everything up from the beginning. So now when we work with a client, well, first of all, now I never add anyone as a joint person. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. But anyways, even when also, it's your best friend. Yeah, even when it's your best friend. So, um, and even though we lo- won the lawsuit, like, collecting is a whole other issue. So that's still Mm -hmm. in works. But anyways, um, but it just taught me like I have to put everything in writing. Our contract was probably a little bit too loose. So like now everything's, you know, gotten a lot more just structured to protect everyone. And from the get go, like we don't do anything willy nilly anymore. Like we're thinking, okay, how do we help the client understand like what's coming Mm -hmm. and make them feel safe and, and make them feel like we've got this under control so that they don't panic and try and like steal control of the reins and which always ends in like you know it's crashing as well yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's completely changed our business for the better like the, all that has yeah it's it it was a hard lesson learned but man yeah. it was so worth it and you know, the story is that the terms and conditions page on your quotes, on your contracts, whatever is signed before the, the work starts, um, that's filled with horror stories. Like that's there because things yeah. went completely sideways in the past when you didn't totally. have it there. Isn't that funny? Every time I do something and I look at a, at a services contract, I'm like, what happened to these people that these kind of things are in the contract? <laughs> yeah, you sort of read into it, right? Like my, um, Oh, yeah. My, you, you can only imagine. The, whole, the terrible things that people have gone through, the stressful things. Um, you know, and it's not that you, even when it comes to getting deposits before starting projects, it's not that you don't trust people. 99% of people have full intention of following through and paying the bill and enjoying the interaction that they have with you, but stuff goes wrong. It does. Yeah. And you have to prepare for the worst. Mm -hmm. Totally. So yeah, I like the way that you, uh, that you laid that out where you had a friend brought into the bank account and it was, uh, Ooh, can't do that again. Yeah, money changes people. It is. It's interesting. (laughs) Definitely. Um, I'd like to now hear about a specific design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Um, What was that like? How did that feel? Take us to that story. Um, I think we've only had a few where it's like, and I'm always thinking of like logo projects or the one that we're, it's like you're the most intimately involved with like a client and their yeah. outcome. Um, where these brand identity projects Well, usually we learned early on when it happened the first time that again, the process is where we could have saved ourselves and really helped avoid some of these, like really it was just big miscommunication at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
we realized, okay, we need to do a discovery session at the very beginning and have them sign off on the discovery because um, at that project, it was mainly not that we hadn't agreed, but that they kept kind of changing their mind all the way through. Mm -hmm. And so what we started doing was not only did we have them sign the discovery, which kind of like really makes them feel like invested in and getting that approval, that first approval before they even see any design decision mm -hmm. um, or like any really helps win buy-in. Um, but then before we present any proofs, now we recap the discovery with every single proof. So not only are we saying, oh, here's this design, we're reminding them of what our parameters are. And that's really helped to keep them on track because people can't help it. They just get distracted. They see things out in the world. They see cool things that their brother or their sister or their cousin made or a t-shirt at PacSun <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, yes, that's cool. But that's not what we've agreed to for what's going to be best for you. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly reframing why and then telling them why the solution works. So did that discovery, that's like, that's basically an, an initial, um, you know, questionnaire for lack of a better term, where you go through that with the clients. So everybody's on the same page of what you're looking for. Is that right? Is that what that is? Yes. So pretty much uh, I'll prepare and I mean, we have some basic questions that we always do, but with each client, kind of the questions are different depending mm -hmm. on what their business is, what the service is, what the project is. We'll ask them that. We try to do it over the phone because you can get so much more genuine answers over the phone. More in person. And they just don't have a lot of time. And often people, when they write it down, they'll self-edit in ways that they think are helpful, but maybe you actually get more mm -hmm. raw material that you can read between the lines when you hear it. From mm -hmm. the horse's mouth, from the, totally. not the horse, in their own right. words. Our clients are not from, horses. You know, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we do it over the phone or video chat, and then we go away, and then we test those assumptions against research that we do about them, about their client, about their customers, about the competitive market. And then we put it, we kind of synthesize it all into a recap document. And you would be shocked at how impressed people are by you just mirroring back to them in an in a understandable way what the core problem is and what the solution needs to be mm -hmm. and because, maybe any something extra that they didn't even know was the problem yeah because a lot of times people who come to you they're so worried and stressed that you don't understand what they want or need and they're really panicked that like maybe <clears throat> everyone's not on the same page and really maybe they can't even see the wood for the trees of what they're even trying to accomplish but when you listen and then you distill it down and, and say it back to them they're like oh my gosh yes you understand good wow this is such a relief to know that like you're on the same page you have this in hand I can actually like feel free to like let you now take this mm -hmm. and run with it so was that discovery document or process created um, from a job that just did not align yes 100 <laughs> perfect i love how blunt yes that was the one every good process we have is out of uh of something that went horribly awry we yeah. get to the end and you're like well that didn't work yeah oh yeah we're like how do we make sure that that never happens again yeah <laughs> <laughs> perfect you gotta um, be retrospective if you're gonna have a successful business that's for sure definitely um amy and jen what is something you're struggling with in your design careers right now Gosh, right now, I feel like we're trying to get to the next level. I think we've come to a really cool place in our career, and I'm so grateful and honestly just shocked at all the stuff we've gotten to do and with all the amazing companies we got to work with. Um, but now I, we're definitely realizing that we're kind of those next level jobs that we get to quote or get RFPs for mm -hmm. that we're losing out to you know slightly bigger agencies. We want to make sure we want to let them know like we can we can compete with those big slightly larger agencies with those high caliber designers like mm -hmm. Alex Rinker and, and people like that. So now we're just trying to kind of 
rebrand ourselves. Take a look at what we're putting out into the world and figuring out how we can level that up to let people know that we have the expertise to take on these really big rebrands or these really big um, identity system projects. And so that's kind of our next thing. So rebranding yourself, do you feel that that will be the toughest rebrand project you've ever worked on or the easiest? I don't know. Now I feel like it's kind of, everything's really feels innate because we, we have been doing this for eight years and luckily Jen and I are pretty much completely on the same page about where we want to go. So now it's kind of just like, how do we show that aesthetically? How do we show that in tone? How do we show that in what we're putting out? Yeah. We had to go through our website and figure out like, Hey, we love this project, but it, it doesn't really speak to what we're trying to do now. Like mm-hmm. as much as it hurts, let's take it down, you know? And just these really small decisions that, that help, you know, kind of slightly alter the narrative. It's not that we're changing who we are, or what we've been doing It's just showing that we've learned a lot and we're, we're wise old sages in this design industry and that we can, we can handle these big projects. Perfect. So basically the micro decisions that get you to a macro result. I think mm. so. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I'm going to turn this bus around now uh, from the, you know, the tough stuff, but I want to ask you about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of the one that just makes your heart sing, or maybe it's the biggest design feather in your cap. Oh, feather. Gosh. I don't know. It's different depending on who I'm talking it to. It is really not because I mean, I love like so many of our projects, like we're, we're just, I, everything we do, we're very proud of, but depending on who I'm talking to, like, I know that I can connect with them with each, you know, different right. projects. Uh-huh. Um, but it is cool when you can tell someone something that's just really well known is like an easy thing to feel really proud of. Uh-huh. Like the 20th century Fox work, even though oh, like yeah. none of our concepts have been chosen yet, just to be able to say that you've worked on movie title concepts. Like, I feel like people, there's just something that, that means something to a lot of Everyone people. Everyone sees the magic in that. They're like, what? That's incredible. Right. Or even getting to do little um, identity systems for the Red Bull projects we've gotten to do. We got to do an identity system for a road trip nation or road trip um, USA. And um, being able to say that and show it is so, so cool because it's on such a large scale. And so many people like potentially a millions of people have seen it with their audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just something ubiquitous. Yeah. About it. For sure. So do you have a project that stands out to you um, and, you know, makes you feel good where it maybe wasn't backed by the biggest budget. It wasn't, um, you know, a really well-paid job, but it seems to have just really stuck with you. We have so many. And I'm the one that comes to mind right away is just the one that I'm working on right now, which is Pacific Gold Cannabis Company. Mm-hmm. The guy I'm working with, Jules uh, Torres, he has been in the industry for like, you know, 15 years. And he's just so passionate about it. And he's also just so... Um, trusting of me and my skills. So it's been the absolute best like client working relationship I probably ever had. And we just work together so well. And when a hiccup comes up, he doesn't freak out. He's been in this industry so long that he's just, he's already been through every hiccup. So it's just like, it's cool. Like let's, yeah. now it's time to troubleshoot, you know? And in the, in the cannabis industry, everything's changing like literally weekly, sometimes totally. daily. You'll yep. approve, you approve the packaging and then, you know, there's a new regulation. So I, just learning how to deal with those quick turnarounds and also just getting to do packaging for, you know, something, something like the, these vape cartridges and these, um, just, you know, POS displays and all these things that he's, he's by no means a small company. He's putting in a great investment of his own money, but his vision is just so clear. And I feel like I'm so on track with it. It's just like, he'll say something and I'm like, yes. And we're both like on it and working. It's none of this like, Oh, I don't know. It just, everything is symbiotic and we're, 
least launching it pretty much like right now, soft launch Pacific gold, um, cannabis, you should Google it on everything. It's, and it's just been so fun and I can't wait to see where it goes. Very cool. Um, so I think I know your answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, what is one design product tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Gosh, for me, I would say it has to be like Instagram or Twitter. It's where not only do I put out work into the world and get kind of a quick read on what people think, um, but it's also how we, a lot of our clients find us. Mm -hmm. And as far as Twitter goes, it's where I get just a lot of awesome advice from my, you know, peers and, and, um, just people in the industry that just know a lot more than me. Mm -hmm. Um, we've gotten so much work and just advice, you know, in life and career from Twitter and it's been invaluable and dribble dribble has gotten us so many clients. Um, art directors are on there all the time looking for, looking for freelancers. So yeah. Got it. Um, so I want to quickly ask you about your networking and then I'm going to get to the last question, which is an ask it forward question. Um, are you, you're primarily using Twitter for networking or have you dabbled in LinkedIn at all? We primarily use uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Dribble. And we don't really use LinkedIn that much. I get on, I actually got on there today. I've only been on there like four times this year. It's not that it's invaluable. I find when you're looking for a job or after you go to a meetup, it's nice to get on there and like link up with people pretty quickly. Um, but we don't use it that much. Got it. Um, and then in person, I think in person is like invaluable. So totally. if you're not a social network, but it's the, the OG social oh, network. It's, the, it's where you're <laughs> going to make the most genuine and memorable connection. Absolutely. Like Twitter is great. Instagram's really hard to be remembered on because there's just so many people on there following, like, especially if you're trying to connect with like top brands and top people. Totally. Uh, Twitter, it's easier to cut through the noise because not very many people are actively like making conversation. There's a lot of passive liking and retweeting. So that's easier. But when, if you really want a way to like build your, your um, followings in person is like the most genuine way yeah. to do it and to get real connections that are going to last and like yeah. that you can feel comfortable enough to text someone and like, just ask them a quick question, that kind of thing. Really well said. Once you get to that text level, you know, you're good. Oh, then you're real friends. <laughs> um, all right. You guys have made it to the final question of the show, which is the ask it forward question. I have a question for you both from my previous guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. Um, now I usually, I love this. yeah, I usually don't tell the guests um, who they're going to be asking a question of next, but the previous guest, I just let her know that it was guests together. <laughs> And um, she knew? Oh, yeah. She called it out. She's like, I think I know who it is. And then after we stopped recording, she's like, are you interviewing Hootsba? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I can't confirm or deny that, but yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> my previous guest was Noelle Roth from Noelle Roth Studio in LA. She's got a dynamite Instagram, so check her out. But she wanted to ask, what is the hardest thing about working together? What is the thing that you need to just agree to disagree on? And what's the thing that you're so aligned on, you're just unstoppable? Oh, um, working together before the hardest thing was just kind of like um, knowing when to let someone have the win. Mm -hmm. So we now kind of like 
we each of us spearheads different projects. Mm-hmm. And when I say spearheads, I just mean like there's one person who at the end of the day, they have the final say. But besides that, we do try and like collaborate with each other on as far as like ideation and like critiquing and making sure it's like as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. But there has to be one person who gets the final say. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just bickering. And because we both know and trust that each one of us wants to do really great work and we know that we've done the research and we both understand the goals, as long as it meets the goals, even if it's if it comes down to preference, we just have to let it lie. You know, (laughs) because it's like you can really just fight about preference till the cows come home. (laughs) So um, I'm like, well, I think this is better. She's like, well, I think this is better. But if we can both admit that they're both good options, then the owner wins. Yeah. Whoever the owner is of the project. Um, But the things that we really align on, I think, are just like aesthetics, visuals. Like we both really do like for the most part, like broadly the same things. It might come down to like, I want this font, you want that font, but Mm -hmm. broadly we do have the same style. We also align on like, how do we work the least and make the most? (laughs) So we're constantly (laughs) trying to figure out, yeah, like how do we, like our book has been a huge, amazing source of passive income that we never thought. And of course it's not that passive when you're writing it, but you know, on the tail end it's passive. And uh, so just we're constantly trying to figure out how to like optimize our shop and optimize our, um, you know, just, our teaching, our, our books and all that kind of stuff so that we can live our lives. Awesome. Um, what is your ask it forward question for my next guest? Ooh. Um, what their proposal decks look like or like their proposal process, like how do they present their pricing in a compelling way? Oh, I like it. Perfect. Amy and Jen, I'm going to ask that question of my next guest. Thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, everybody. That is the end of my interview with Amy and Jen from Hutzpah Design. Definitely go to hutzpahdesign.com and check out their book. It's fantastic. I've heard nothing but great things from all my designer friends who have read it. So go get it. Thank you again, and I'll be back tomorrow. See ya.